0: If you are interested in dialing in the processes and procedures in your shop, then today's episode of Body Bangin' you will not want to miss. Our guest today worked for Caliber Collision and helped them with their processes and procedures, then went and worked with Fix Auto and Eric and Shelley Bickett to help grow the Fix Auto group and dial things in over there. He is now independent and ready to share the wealth with all of us. So on today's episode of Body Bangin', he's giving us some of his own personal tips and tricks
1: stay tuned for more welcome to body bangin your podcast for all things body auto body that is and now, introducing Body Bangin's host, Mickey Woods of Mickey Woods Marketing. Mickey is a former Auto Collision Center owner and is now a marketing and business development expert to shops across the globe.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Body Bangin Podcast. This is Mickey Woods, your host. And today, I'm super excited to bring you James Quard with Painter's Collision Center. And uh, James, I'm going to have you kind of start us out and just just give us a little bit of background on yourself, because I know you're a body shop owner, an independent shop owner now, but you have a vast array of experience. So let's just give the listeners a little taste because they probably know you indirectly and don't even realize it.
2: <laughs> okay, I'll do the best I can. I'll be, I'll cut, kind of keep it high level. There's a lot there. Um, you know, I, I grew up in the industry. I'm 39 years in it at this point. I started sweeping floors in my dad's body shop in Whittier, California when I was 15. Uh, My dad was a partner in board Ford in Whittier, California, right on the main strip. So it was one of the largest Ford dealers in the state at the time. And my grandfather was an innovator. So my grandfather was the first all-state DRP in the state. He was the beta, right? That's when I'm still pro, right? So um, that's how we kind of got launched. Um, my dad was a body man until he was forty. So I came into the in 15, like I said, and I started out sweeping floors, cleaning cars, painting, prepping. I was a body man apprentice for a couple of years, um, and when I was on the production floor as a body man, you know, I was watching everything, and I'd be like, "This is ridiculous. These guys are never going to get sales. They're never going to get cars out." It was interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was pretty sarcastic, you know, those old body shop operators were. So he. Retired his body man um, position at 40, took over the family business at 40, and he was different, right? So it's just interesting watching him. So on the production floor is when I came up with my process. I was very young at the time. Um, We invented, you know, tagging the windshield, mapping Mm -hmm. the car. We called it a value map, Mm -hmm. right? Um, DuPont came in, kind of adapted that. It was pretty interesting. I don't know if we were the first ones to do it, but we sure felt like we were.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, right? So we were doing a lot of volume with Allstate, and then my father took on several other DRPs, I think AAA, um, 20th Century, and several others. Um and still struggling on the throughput piece. Um so he finally asked me if I'd do it, and I said sure. Well, so I implemented my process Um, So that's what got me started in the industry. And then I left them, of course, at a young age. I started running my first shop all by myself at the age of 24. Um, Then I moved up to Portland, Oregon. Went to work for um, a small dealer, Um, didn't like the dealer environment. Then I went to work for a gentleman by the name of Terry Mostel that owns Artistic Auto Body up in um, Tigard, Oregon. Had a great experience with Terry. Terry's super smart, taught me a ton. Uh, he also had a production manager by the name of Don Cooper that was phenomenal. That's where I really got my first mentorship mm-hmm. in this industry. While well, my dad was really good, he wasn't like a Don. Don was a step-by-step kind of guy, you know, and he really yeah. taught me. A lot so my process integrated with that, just started to get better. Um, Terry started to grow. Terry made me his sales manager. I had never been titled a sales manager, but I could capture work, write good estimates, things like that. So I stayed with Terry for quite some time. Really liked Terry's a good man. Um, I left him um, in early '96, I think, and I joined Norman Perry's Perry's Hammer. They needed a partner, so I partnered with them. Twenty uh, percent owner of that. Uh, we grew from about three hundred thousand to eight hundred fifty thousand revenue um, in a very short period of time. We built a new paint shop. We did all kinds of cool stuff. I had fun with that. But the process again was key for us. That mm-hmm. that process that we had invented back in the, the late '80s and '90s just kept you know evolving stronger. So it's a category of repair process. And we'll talk more, of course, as we get into this. But uh, I did that um, there at the Velvet Hammer for some time. Then we sold it um, in 98 to a gentleman by the name of Toby Wiltsy. And Toby owned at that time, I think nine or 10 body shops. Smart man. I love Toby Wiltsy. Wow. I wish I could talk to him today, but he retired and kind of disappeared into the sunset. Mm. Um, Well, can I just
0: say that the name Velvet Hammer is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but that's so, so all,
2: cool. All. Norman Perry are great men. I love them still to this day. You know, we lost touch over the years, but great guys. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. Um, and then I joined Toby, of course, and there was a gentleman out there by the name of Clyde Lowry. He was our computer guy, our IT guy at the Velvet Hammer. He left that state, joined M2, became friends with a gentleman by the name of Bill Rice. They recruited me on as a regional manager. I went to go work with them in the Bay Area. I got to work with some very, very strong operators. I got to work with Greg Hepler. Uh, Greg Hepler is by far my largest mentor teacher. He taught me the financial aspect of this industry better than anybody. Mm. I stayed with them until they went out of business. I was that guy that just stayed. I I didn't want to go because I wanted to help everybody, so I did. Uh, Got through that. Um, And then I joined uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Um, I went to work for uh, Rick Hendrick and Larry LeHue. Larry LeHue oversaw all of Rick's body shops. Um, What a great guy. Greg Hepler actually connected me with Kurt Hepler, which worked directly for Rick Hendrick, got me in. So that was so fun. I I got to build a body shop in San Diego for them. That was great. I loved it. They had a six month agreement with them, so I only stayed for six months and went on to do my thing because I like independent. I uh, went to work in a small body shop, helped a guy by the name of Jimmy grow his store. And then I uh, partnered up with a couple of the guys in a shop called Auto Recar. We had a weird thing going on there. So I ended up leaving, but it ended up going to Caliber and I joined Caliber at the same time. So I got to work with that phenomenal company. And I will say Caliber is phenomenal. Um, when I joined them, they were small, 75 stores. I had a troubled region in San Diego. Um, so I went to San Diego and helped them grow it. They did a mm. great job. Uh, had... Gold, Platinum facilities, they liked what I was doing. They promoted me to a regional manager. I ran a few stores for for a while, but they found my gifts were turning stores around, Mm -hmm. going into the underperformers, restaffing, putting my process in place and getting it to go this way. So That's what they had me doing for a long, long time. As a matter of Mm -hmm. fact, the last big project I did for David Goldstein was Caliber Santa Monica when they still had that thing. And I was one of the only guys. And I'm not bragging because I had a team. The team was there. Right? You can't right. do without a great set of people with good minds. Uh,
0: hundred percent.
2: A hundred. Yeah. Right. So yeah. We, we had to do some staff changes, a couple, but not many. Everybody there was phenomenal. We turned that store around. We grew that thing up from about 700 grand to a million plus. Mm-hmm. Really killed it. I stayed doing that for about 18 months, but it just wore me out. That thing was mm-hmm. a big. Um, you know, and I had been friends with Eric Bickett since about 2008, Eric and I had been having phone calls, things like that. And he had been reaching out, wanted me to join him. Um, so I joined Eric in, um, 2013, late 2012, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I joined Eric, they had just, you know, had been battling the recession. It was pretty bad in 2008. We all remember that. Yeah. So Eric and Shelly were graceful. They brought me in and just gave me the world. They really did. They said, Jim, go do your thing. They just left me alone. Go run it. So I did. You know, I hired a great um, operations manager. Her name is Amanda Fazio. She's still there today. Uh, Eric and Shelley supported everything we did. We built technology. We built a dashboard. We built all these great tools. We grew it to ten stores. We grew it to over thirty million dollars in revenue. We had a great time. I really, it was a great nine years in my life. Um, Eric and Shelley decided it's time. You know, they were in their <laughs> mid to sixties. Good friends of mine still to this day, and uh, they want to sell yeah did you, we went out and i was like i don't <laughs> so they did. I you, we, we sold it out last year um i stayed through till november of 2020 and you know i was done it's time to be 100 owner um i got married uh last year in october and my wife Congratulations. Said, thank you she's her name kelly heward now kelly Vega was her old name Kelly's dynamic, super smart gal. Um, I got her into the industry. She started doing accounting and all kinds of stuff for independent owners. Worked out well. So you know what? We thought. Well, she comes from a really good background too. She's a CFO, controller, all of that. Mm. You know. So my operations knowledge and her accounting knowledge combined was just wow. Here we go, right? Yeah. So Kelly was really instrumental in making these decisions. I thought you know I got a really good network of people in the Arizona market. I'm going to move to Arizona, so we found a really good owner. His name is Bruce Painter. His wife Janet Painter. They built this thing from the ground up. We bought it. We started Jan one, ground zero, not one car in the.
0: Wow. Well, now did they have vehicles coming into the shop at that time?
2: No, they stopped. They cut it all off. They canceled. They we I had no idea this was going on. In October, they deactivated every DRP that they had. They cut off. They were going to shut this down and just lease the building. They had been approached by, you know, the king. They had been approached by right. several other con- consolidators. But Bruce is a lot like myself or some of us old school independent guys. He just went and sold to a consolidator. He goes, I'm not going to mm, do it. Yeah. I'll put it down before I do that. You know, so... A very awesome guy, a good friend by the name of Dennis Keneally out there, works for Exalta, connected me with with Bruce. And we just hit it off. We just did. Just both of us have the same background, both ex-body man. Our whole yeah, family. yeah. You know, so it yeah. just worked out great, you know. So, you know, the background, that's that. With it coming in here, it's just been a dream come true, really. It really has. You know, we've gone from ground zero, we've done in Q1, and we did 537,000 revenue. Wow. Great KPIs. Yeah, our CSI to 98%, um, our NPS net promoter score is right at 97. Uh, you know, hours per day, right around six, six and a half. Key to key cycle days, five, five and a half. Just really doing a good job. Gross profits in between 48, and 49. Actually, Q1 all in was 49. Um, you know, we work with a lot of great tools, a lot of great people out there. Um, they, the ones that encouraged me, they said, do it. What are you waiting for? You've been a partner. You've been this, you've been that. Yeah. So do your thing. You know? Yeah. So, so you know, when got- you,
0: sorry to cut you off, but when you oh. first started, so you had basically nothing, you bought a shop with zip doodle doodly mm-hmm. D and, uh, so when you kind of turn the faucet on and you launched basically. How did you even let people know that you were open to start getting vehicles in?
2: I had a secret. We The entire team, we didn't let one person go. We kept them all, right? So that said, Natalie Painter, well, not Painter anymore. Natalie is Bruce's sister. Natalie is the face of this community. She had been here for the full 17-year duration. She knows everybody in town, so what she did, as soon as we got here, fired it all back up, she just made a few phone calls. And all of a sudden, that door just started turning.
0: Wow!
2: Yeah, month one, we did $150,000 in revenue of off-the-street work, not one ERP,
0: nothing. Wow, that's awesome.
2: We we're blessed. There's just no question that this yeah. was meant to be, right? Certain things are meant to be. So this one was... um then I have a pretty good network of friends. You know, one of the things I can encourage any independent owner, anybody that's currently an operator that wants to be very high profile in this industry is your network. Mm-hmm. Eric taught me something a long time ago. I'll never forget this. When Eric said this to me, he goes, Jim, you want to master your business. You need to master people. He goes, learn the people and build your network, man. He goes, that's everything. He goes, I'm a smart guy. He goes, I'm not the smartest guy. I'm a smart guy, but not smartest guy. I learned all this from the people. Yeah. So wow. Right. So all the people that I met throughout the years, I just started picking up the phone. It's calling, 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 not afraid to do it. Next thing you know, the RPs are coming. Mm. Hartford, American Family. Uh, I got Pinall County. I, you know, I got some big ones. I got Amer- American Family's huge in this market. I got another big one. I don't want to talk about that yet. Maybe in our next one, once we go live with them. <laughs> yes. Then I'll start to talk about it. There all. you go. But that's happening as well. So, you know, it's just really well. Then marketing. You have been helpful for me. You know, you don't know that yet. Indirectly you have. I really awesome. um I like your how smart you are. And I've read everything about my about marketing and how to get my social media, uh, my websites clean. That's why I reached out to you via that email, because as soon as it's done here in the next week or so, I really want to hire you to do that
0: yeah, um, thank was, you.
2: No, thank you. And thank you for giving us those 10 tips. And those those are, <laughs> yeah. really, really, right. So that's, that's kind of what I've been doing. But, you know, the processes that we put in place, leadership over management. Mm. That's the key. People really think that management dotting every I crossing every T is going to be your success factor, but it's not. Mm Leadership will be your success factor, how you treat your people, how you inspire them, how you coach them, how you train them and how you bring them up in your store. Then having a, a comprehensive process that's simple, but is supported by tools. And what do I mean by tools? I mean, having a digital twin, a digital twin is a dashboard to your organization. And that's what I created when I was with Eric. I Eric it was so funny. I said, Eric, we need a dashboard. Caliber has one of the most robust dashboards you could ever, ever want. And Dave goldstein was sitting with me shoulder to shoulder and he would teach me how to yeah. operate a dashboard, right? He's yeah. amazing, super smart, right? Um, so I went to Eric. It was funny, I said, Hey, Eric, we need a dashboard, a digital twin. I can't run a company like this. I, I I need to be able to see everything real time all the time. He last time he goes, So what do you have? software guy now <laughs> no he goes can you build a spec and present it to me because i don't know if you know this about eric but eric's a software guru used to own a software company they sold it to enterprise um so he's good at that wow so he goes create a spec jim and then present it to me <laughs> so i just went line to a bunch of research and i created my an excel spec presented it to him I mean, it's literally just him and I in this big old conference room. And Eric's a big guy. It can be a little intimidating at times. He said, watching us. And he finishes up and he goes, that was excellent. I'll fund it. So he paid paid. Awesome. It. Yeah. But then we ended up giving it to FixUSA. And then they got it out to all the, all the owners, which was a great tool that brought us together as a, as a network. And yes. Um, so anyways, I encourage everybody, you know, in process, have tools that support it right so ron kewen is a collision repair expert industry expert nationwide consultant good friend Um, he had been working on a tool as well and he has launched it and it's a a dashboard and he also has a cycle time composite that surrounds my process based on category of repair right that's how we do it so i would encourage all independent owners newbies getting into the industry To really look at your process, keep it simple. I'm a big Steve Jobs fan. I I loved him. He was one of my favorite people. And he would always say, keep it simple, simple, stupid, as a matter of fact. That's why he created the iPhone and the iPod and all that. So we work in a category of repair. A category one repair is a $2,500 repair or less. A category two repair is $2,500 less than $55. A category three repair is a $5,500 repair or greater. Okay. Right, So we literally wrap everything around that. We have time standards to a Cat 1, a time standard to a Cat 2, and a time standard to a Cat 3. We grade it from drop into production with Cat 1, from drop, tag, map, scan, into production, disassembly, estomatics, parts procurement, into paint. All has to be done within the first hour of arrival. Wow. Yes. This is the first half. Production half, that can take upwards of two to three hours to get into the paint. But remember, these are $2,500 repairs or less. Right. And the reason why they became $2,500 repairs is for ADOS and technology, right? Ron and I used to keep it at $1,500 or less. But we had to change it because as we saw this evolvement of sublet operations or even in-house, right? We had to change that. So yeah. But the discipline factor around it, that's one of the things that people fail. They don't understand that being conditioned each day having your mind right for it, being Mm -hmm. open, and surrounding yourself with like-minded humans that want to be great. What I find in my career, in being in over 450 body shops in my lifetime, turning hundreds of them from poor, poor operators to top quartile operators, people. It's all people, right? They have to work within that process. You can have the best process in the world, you can if you don't have people that adapt it, understand it, stay within it, what good is it? It's no good. Yeah. Right? That was one of my secret sauces is that. So the time standards are on the category one, the time standards are around the category two and the category three. I have a philosophy. A repair of ten to $15,000 or higher, it's going to be there for 15 to 30 days.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Why are we putting every bit of focus on that? why is that the first car torn down why is that the first estimate written it does not make sense i would go into body shops and i'd sit in the lobby and i'd observe and watch they get five bumper jobs they get five fender replacements let's say they got mm-hmm. four toe ends. they all jump to those toe ends. Mm. category one sit for two to three days the bumpers two to three days i once had a guy say i've had a bumper job in my shop gym for 19 days i said are you proud of that <laughs> yeah i will be proud of that no. you know <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy so that's what i've observed through my career so when and i'm going to give this to mr eric bickett he connected me with ron chun he wanted me to have a life coach i used to be really rough around the i was an operator mm. i didn't have a lot of kindness in me it's just gonna be done you do it all moving on right We got me ron ron taught me how to be more of a more open-minded to the coaching, the training, bringing them up versus just replace, replace, replace. Right. That's another thing I could segue a bunny trail to is train, teach, and be ahead of your people. Identify where they're weak and mm-hmm. give them that strength, right? That's I what I love they, that. That's what they taught, what Ron taught me. Mm-hmm. So I went from having high turnover to very, very, very low turnover. Eric and Shelley loved it because they did not like turnover. Being business owners at their level, yeah. they great pride in their people, they really do. Yes. Mm-hmm. When I come around and I'm like, "Oh, we're just going to upgrade. We're going to do this, or we're going to do that," they're like, "Yeah, who is this, Jim?" I'm like, "What do you mean? This is what I've been taught, corporate America." What do you mean? Right. And they give me Ron. And I was like, "Jim, corporate America is Ron is from corporate America. He was a big operator for ABRA for years. He was a VP, I think, of operations for at mm-hmm. one point. I think could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct." Um, so you know, those are the things they taught me, and I really listened because i didn't like what i was experiencing so i'm gonna be honest to the whole industry right now i had a 24-month sustainability that was it
0: Mm.
2: That because i was so hard on everybody yeah and i learned that leadership was the key coaching inspiration training and really being interested and i am now and at first it was some more about me than it was them Mm -hmm. about my people it's more about the teams because they bring you where you want to go right so at the end of the day that's what Ron taught me. So at each step of the way, a car, if it's going to be there 30 days, it's going to be the 30 days. So we prioritize the cat one to the cat two to the cat three, mm-hmm. right? And then you have to whip manage at a very high level. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that a lot of people fail in, right? There's a gentleman out there by the name of Richard Fish. Richard Fish owns, I think, 10 stores now in the California market. Good friend, smart man. He taught me whip management. He goes, Jim, if you want high level KPI manager whip he goes why do you take in every single car you don't need to right right that was a big deal so we keep an optimum whip so if we have 400 grand is our sales plan we only keep hundred thousand dollars on the property we turn it when we turn it we turn it right works perfect so if i want 400 grand i keep 100 hundred thousand on in stock and i turn it almost every five to six days so whip. are
0: you scheduling your vehicles in
2: I don't, not yet. I will in the future right now. I have to hoard a little bit as I grow the business, but I'm yeah. going to buy another store right down the street here soon. I'm going to buy another one next to that. And then I'll be low leveling. So I'll never turn a mm. car away. Yeah. That's what I brought. With Caliber. I really enhanced it there. They had a low level process in place, but they really didn't get the benefit of it. So I worked with the teams there. We really enhanced it. At ACAB, at Allison Center Auto Body, we lived it. We would take sales and literally explode blew that company up because we turned no work away Mm. ever. We didn't schedule. What's the need when we can load level, right? Right. So like, for example, you have Irvine um, fixado, Costa Mesa, Anaheim, Orange, Yorba Linda, all around it, high volume store. It it does 450 grand every month like clockwork, but that's really all it can do. Right. right? But it would fill Costa Mesa, fill Orange, because that volume is coming constantly yes you're an mso a multiple shop operator you really have to think about that i don't want any cars going anywhere else one of the things that caliber taught me which was amazing and they were adamant about it jim why does the customer want to schedule i go well loyalty well are they a repeat customer are they the first customer "Ah, good question a person that doesn't have any loyalty to you wants their car fixed now Mm. We've got 30 calibers, so just bring them over here. They can go over there. They can go to Joe's, Autobody. They can go anywhere. So bring the car in, in. low-level it. So it really sustains sales across the platform. Yeah. So here what I intend to do is I'm going to bring it all in. I'll produce it through the process. Right. If it gets to that point where I have to schedule, I will, but I prefer not to. I just feel that that's a lost opportunity for us. And what I always experience too is we'll pre-order a part, they don't come in. More mm-hmm. cash is starting to deplete. Mm-hmm. Just things like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, scheduling works for some. I think when you're in rural areas, when you're in places like that, it's really important. But I think when you're in a metropolis, I don't know how, how important that is.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you mind me asking? So, how many? How much are you doing in sales as of right now? Uh,
2: we did our first over two hundred thousand dollar month just in March. We did two twenty in March. Uh, this okay. month we'll do three hundred and twenty, and then from that point it'll just be perpetual. The store will will land at 400. I won't do more than 400 here. Okay.
0: And then how many writers do you have now?
2: I just brought on my second just a month ago, um, knowing where we were going with our DRP ads. Um, So this store will now sustain about a, it'll do a 350 um, after April consistently. From that point, it's just about how we process it.
0: Yeah. So then ideally when you're hitting, you're at that 400,000 mark. Ideally, how many riders would you have at that point? Two. You keep it at two. Okay.
2: Well, I have a process that works really well. I separated everything. Now this is, this process is a deep one, Mickey. So I can go for hours like we talked about, (laughs) but there's a breakout here. So I have what we call a customer service specialist. Mm. So a customer service specialist isn't just answering a phone and greeting a customer. They're checking the car in. They do the first set of photographs. They tag it, they map it, they scan it. They bring it to production. They bring it to the textile. Tech, tech turns the vehicle down, writer goes out to write the sheet. My writers are not doing all the door junk. They're not doing gotcha. the it. That's what keeps us super efficient. So, I like that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so
2: we teach these, either gals or guys, either way, but we're teaching them to become writers. That's what happens with them, or they yep. move into other roles. It's really right. cool how it works. So what I do is, like like Rob Collins is, partnered up with Lindsay, right? So Rob and Lindsay work together as a team. Have mm-hmm. Andrew and Natalie. Andrew and Natalie work together as a team. So it's the repair planner, CCS. CCS is the face for them, yes. right? The CCS will bring them up if there's a technical question they can't answer, if things get a little tense, you know, that kind of happens sometimes. Yes. Right? Things like that. Customer demands an estimate now, then, of course, we'll go, to, we'll go write the estimate. But right. what they'll do will not walk in traffic, they go out, to take photographs, they get the numbers, all vehicle information, mm-hmm. specific concerns. We email you that estimate and we'll book you in the next day or whatever you want to do. Works right. out really well. But yeah, because that dark traffic uh, and to stop and write an estimate for every customer every time, <laughs> that could be tough. Right. right? Yes. So that works and customers appreciate it because they're in and they're out. They don't have to waste their time waiting for 25, 30 minutes to get that sheet. They're like, oh, that's great. Yeah, email it to me. You know, And then we'll call you and we can discuss it then. So, that so, are you,
0: so are you finding then, because I find it interesting that you're letting the customer leave then and getting the estimate later, are those typically oh. then DRP customers? Is that why you're comfortable letting them leave? They are. Because otherwise I'd be like, don't let them go.
2: <laughs> yeah. If it's a customer pay, now I have a gentleman by the name of Andrew Moore with me. Andrew Moore is about 50 years old. This guy is phenomenal. He can capture any customer pay on the spot. I, awesome. I got so lucky when I met him. He joined me as soon as I opened the doors here. And that's, I think that's how he did it. But yeah, he's phenomenal at it. So, you, you know, there's there's two scenarios. So the DRP is pretty much, it, it's captured, right? right? So those are the ones we'll, we'll get all that information. Then we'll have them drop it the next morning if everybody's too busy, mm. right? If the car won't drop, we want them to drop on the spot if it's the DRP. So they will most of the time. Yeah, you know, About 98% of the time, they, they just leave it. Right, because
0: they don't need the estimate. They're just paying their deductible. What do they care? Exactly. Have it. Yeah. Interesting that you're talking about how you kind of have the partners working together because in some of the shops that I work with, they do have like their CSRs doing a lot of that, uh, doing the front work, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. and being the forward-facing person because those people are typically a little friendlier, a little warmer <laughs> versus the estimator who's more calculated and analytical. Yes. And, um, and it, it does allow the process to move so much faster. Because if you were going to tell me when you first started, you know, basically getting all the information and out to production within an hour, that's why I asked you about, are you making appointments? Because the only other shop that I've worked with that has been able to execute something like that, where their estimator has done all of that is if they're scheduled by appointment and they literally drop it off and that writer's blocked out with nothing else for that hour. Mm-hmm. But that takes a lot of time away from that writer. So like you said, if you can have somebody else managing that, kicking it out, the estimator can follow up and finish that. That's great. Yes. Yeah. And and now
2: understanding the categorization of repair cat one is one hour category two, you have about three hours category three is you have a full day to a day and a half. Right. So it works out really cool. I'm going to kind of flash this up and see this report right here. Literally will show you how quickly you're getting it into production called arrival to production ready. And you can see here in this document, right? Which one is this? This was January. This is month one. We we're averaging 1.2 days on category one, which was really bad, right? Now in March, we're averaging the same day as arrival, which is a beautiful thing. And you can see that right there, right? So it's pretty cool. Right, but it's just evolve, man, when you start a new yes. team. And that's one of the things I, I try to encourage, and no, I don't try, I do encourage everybody, build your team first. Because if you're just if you're trying to get all this training and disciplines and, and implemented and you know you're going to be moving people or changing people and don't have the right it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Get your team built. And that's what I always do. I always formulate this team, and I do it fast. Build that network, get it done, then implement your training now, you mm-hmm. know, and stay on top of it. That's one of the things I see too is these owners, you know, or these managers, they implement, they're not holding people accountable. And accountability is key. You're not a successful body shop without it. Now you just fall. It's interesting. Know your data. I see that a lot of people don't know their data. I am a data junkie. I know every single KPI, every margin, every number in this building every day. I know it with 10 stores, I know it with 14 stores. It did not matter. If Dave Colstein called me, he could ask me if any store I was responsible for, I could answer every single question he would have for me. And that was part of my success factor. It nice. was key to know all that. Yeah. To, right? Five Five S is key. If you don't have a clean, well-organized body shop, you got people running around. It's like losing the um the queen ant, right? The, or the, <laughs> the leader of the ants. I don't remember the name of it, right? But that right. ant leaves and the ants go crazy. Right. But if that ants, there holding people accountable, everything stays in place. Mm
0: -hmm. And Jim, you had mentioned when we were talking a little bit ago about um, a whiteboard and doing Mm -hmm. some type. So can you talk a little bit about that for a quick sec?
2: I'd love to talk about this. Um, I created this process. I call it a whiteboard production meeting each day. So each day we have inspiration first. Right. So we talk about this. We talk about this industry. Why? Why factor? please don't ask anybody to do something unless you give them a Y factor. Yeah. Cause that frustrates people, right? And so we give them Y factor. Why is there so much pressure for cycle time? Why is there so much pressure for the CSI? Why is there so much pressure for repair over replace? Why? Right? So we talk about that daily. We talk about issues in the shop every single morning. We do the production piece on the cars last. Sometimes we'll do inspirational video. We'll do a training video. We'll do something every day, like clockwork. We bring people up. We don't focus on the negative. We'll have a negative come up, we'll talk about it, but then we put it in trash can immediately. Because guess what? You're gonna have stuff happen. When you go into some of these underperforming shops, the reason why is because people are beaten, they're dejected, they don't feel good about what they're doing, right? right. I think people feel good about what they're doing every day. They are repairing the car, the chariot. <laughs> Nobody gets anywhere without that. And we have to do it safe, we have to do it right. I think these guys that fix these cars deserve more notoriety than an athlete. Uh, a movie star any of it they are the stars yeah from my perspective mm-hmm. so that's why i coach and train and teach these folks i can i have taken the, the i don't you've probably been in when you own your shop you deal with these people just sit at the table they're all good <laughs> morning yeah. yeah oh yeah you, got to, you should to take them out of that and make them yeah. understand what they do is something they should take great great pride in so that is part of our morning meeting it's crazy how it, it just impacts them then we go, like today, we went over, you know, some stuff we're gonna be doing with Verifax. You know, they're coming, we're launching here pretty quick. I'm gonna have Bill himself out here. It's gonna be a big deal. Yeah, nice. yesterday I'm walking up, I <laughs> take a photograph. They forgot to cap off an AC. So first thing this morning, we have car care again, crash wrap, covering holes, protecting, mm-hmm. you know, all that, that was the first thing. Then I have a photograph up on the TV of the AC system uncapped. Mm-hmm. Then we do fun fact questions and fact questions. Okay, team. How long does it take to contaminate an AC system once it's uncapped and broken open? Does anybody know? Some people are like, one minute. Some people are like, 10 minutes. I'm like, you have a three hour window. That is it. So we go back to the whole training process. Mm. So daily training based topic topic comes up from what we may have failed on the day before.
0: Okay. We had zero
2: failures day before. Okay, great. But what are we gonna go in today? What are we gonna look at? We're gonna look at sales mix today. looking at high quality, we're going to have a fuser demo. What are we going to do, right? So we do a morning production meeting, 7.45 to 8.15. We do the first part 15 minutes is all the inspirational training stuff. Sometimes it goes longer. Then we review each and every cart in detail. I don't do walkthroughs, walkthroughs are a waste of time. You have technology today, CCC1, all of your notes, everything is there for you. So the way we manage that production report as well, that's key. Those notes have every single sublet operation. It says if it's a Cat 1 repair, Cat 2, or a Cat 3. If you're in a rental car, if you're not in a rental car, right? Mm -hmm. All of that. That's all at 10 in the morning. I'm sorry, at 7.45 in the morning. Then we go and we build what we call a daily go list. This is a very great document that I created that mirrors our dashboard for sales, hours per day, cycle days, where you're at with sales, everything. Every single car that's going for the day is put on this list. It's distributed to the entire team. That's Mm -hmm. all we focus on. That day, any tones you have, Estimatics drop production go list. That's how we get the throughput. It really works well. Mm-hmm. So that is created right after the meeting. That has to be sent out to the entire team by 9 a.m. Then at 10 a.m. sharp, we do another 10-minute release meeting. We just review the go list for the day only. Okay. Then we start to go call customers. Cars we know that are going to be 100% complete mm-hmm. by the end of the day. We're getting you in to pick up the car. If we have one that's iffy. We will call you. We'll let you know, hey, your car is 10 only scheduled to leave today. We're four days early. Mm-hmm. Tell them that. Right. <laughs> we have to keep it for the day. Sometimes we have to, right? So that's what happens there. Then at two o'clock in the afternoon, we have another 10 minute release meeting and we confirm everything that's going for the day. Everything might drop off. Then we make another set of phone calls. Boom. End our day with a full cleanup. One more pass with our general manager. He looks at everything, updates production reports, gets everything ready for the next morning. That's a small version of it in a nutshell.
0: So we'll now play. who is creating uh, your meeting notes and the inspiration and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why did I have a funny feeling? That was going to be the
2: answer. I, I had 10 well well-trained general managers with Eric and Shelley I did. They did all the morning. I have a, literally I have documentation on how to do your whiteboard meetings and the type of stuff you want up on and how you frame out your boards and how you do everything. I have some Pretty cool quotes. I have one that's the fast, eat the slow. Ron, Kuhn, and I believe in that. Mm. If you look at any company in the world, the reason why they are not in business today is because they were slow in everything they did, innovation, all of it, right? So if you look through history, you'll find them all. You'll see them all. We talked about that today, as a matter of fact. Mm. Have a big in red, pay attention with a big arrow pointing to it, and we talk about paying attention daily and how important that is. It's key. It's one of the things we do. So yeah, I create all that stuff.
0: And do you do that uh, typically the morning before the meeting or the night before?
2: I normally do it on my way to work. Okay. I think about what I want to do and then I go and I put it down. But during the day, I'll take a lot of different notes, um, things I see, observe. If they're impactful or important, we'll talk about them, right? A lot of times it's it's like like today, if I find throughput failure issues, category um, issues, any of that, of that nature, I document them. Mm-hmm. And we share them in an open form. We don't do it to humiliate people. Right. We do it to eliminate the mistake. And yeah. the thing is, is the more open it is and the more transparent it is, people don't like that. So they rise to the occasion. So mm-hmm. every time we make that little mistake, or uh-uh, not tomorrow we won't, and they don't. So we start to see them go away. I once took over a shop that was making an average of 21 mistakes per day. It was brutal. I went to this place and like, what has been going on here? Yeah. You know? So, I brought all these. I put the big white stickies up on the wall <laughs> and we'd write them all down. And then all of a sudden, as we call people out, like, hey, Mickey, why'd you do that? What, what were you thinking when you did that? Well, you know, why didn't you raise your hand for some help? We don't get that. Right. You help, you know? Right. So, we start doing that. And next thing you know, it just goes from 20 to mistakes to 10 mistake, to five to zero well and
0: potentially helps you to identify some reoccurring issues if those oh, little okay. white stickies keep going up on the board okay
2: <laughs> oh, well. yeah well we also use you know our csi reporting that too that's that's the, one of the biggest yeah we use so we would use that too Any hot you print them out share we don't keep that to ourselves every bit of right. data every bit of information from financial to kpi to drp to anything that we do is transparent within our businesses Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most important things. I find that ownership that keeps it quiet, they're not going very far.
0: We can learn as you totally understand. You know, we learn from the mistakes that are happening. So the shops that I have that have meetings like that that are like, okay, here are the hot sheets. This is the stuff that came up. Let's talk about this. Let's deal with it. Because oftentimes there is some type of hiccup in the process, but until you bring it to light, then it just keeps happening. Everybody keeps stuffing it under the rug. Exactly. Or if there's an issue that maybe somebody else was like, oh, I, I had that issue last month or whatever. Now we can begin to learn from each other. And like you said, oh. with transparency, that brings it all to light. And so yeah. you can be better. So I love the concept. But like you said, also, it needs to be done in a way that's not a I'm coming down on you and you know Thank what you. an idiot.
2: Yes, it's a big deal. It really is. You know, I, everybody was asks me, how do you get people to so motivated? I would start with what they do well. You know, you kill it in this area, this area, this area, man. You are, wow. I've never seen anything like it. This area right here, though, can we take this and put it into that category? Can we do that? What do you need for us to get you there? Yeah. Well, I need this or I need this or it's your fault, Jim. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so what are we going to do to fix that? Right. we do it. And next thing you know, here they go. Yeah. 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 That's
0: awesome. And I yeah. do love the concept of training your people that you have because working with employees also they really want to learn they want to get invested in because that makes them feel appreciated. So when you are you know breathing into them and training them and helping them now they're buying in. Now you have the buy-in also versus eh, it's not working out
2: <laughs> you know, it took me a while to really learn that that was one of my I think one of my biggest roadblocks in my career for real. Mm-hmm. And if I would have learned that Cause when did I learn 15, 10 years ago? If I would learn that 25 years ago, who knows where I'd be today, you know, but Hey, things come when they're supposed to come and you need to learn. You're supposed to learn. I believe that's all set in your path. So,
0: yeah. So now when you're doing these numbers and we'll kind of wrap it up, cause I feel like we're giving these guys a lot to think about. And part of the tricky part is also, is we have owners that aren't as hands-on as you are. Mm-hmm. So but that's tricky.
2: Yes, so. You know, and I am not say you have to be in your business every day. You don't, but you have to make a presence and you have to have accountability to your leadership, your management, and you need to build relationships with your body techs, your painters and your writers, especially those body techs. That is your ultimate commodity. Mm-hmm. Ultimate. I find that my relationships to the technicians, that's where it's at. I mean, if I was still in California, they would all be at my new shop because of the loyalty, because of how I treated them, because of that relationship.
0: Right. Well, you're setting them up for success and everybody appreciates that, right? Oh, yeah. So kind of then looping back to what I was going to ask you is for the guys that are interested in doing something like this, what do you re- recommend? Like, how can they kind of get started? Because there are so many ideas and it all sounds amazing and great. And it's like, okay, but how do I, how do I do this in my shop? How do I make this applicable? For me, what would be like a, something simple that they could just start with today to kind of get that ball rolling,
2: reach out, reach out, reach out to other owners. We're all willing to help reach out to consultants like mm. Ron or Mike Anderson, you know, mm. that the guys that really know what they're doing. And if you want to be an absent owner, I would recommend finding a highly qualified operations leader. Yeah. And is doing you're not going to find a lot that are all very happy where they're at that's one of the hardest things right they don't yeah. want like why would they leave and there's not a whole lot of them out there Just not so you know i would recommend that but as an owner be involved be engaged teach your people get them to the right people you know there's a lot out there we got so many good teachers and educators in this industry today it's remarkable quite frankly it really is i recommend ron Keown, um because he's an operations guy like me mm-hmm. process driven um, numbers driven, like operational numbers, like sales mixes, GPs, uh, sales planning, how to achieve your sales planning, uh, management. Ron's phenomenal. Ron and I did uh, two and a half, almost three years together of 20 groups with over 40 body shops in them on a monthly basis. They were great. And Ron and I knew how to bounce off each other with our tool. It was so much fun. So I, I recommend that at a high level network. And I'm going to be straight here. Eric taught me that. Eric says, Get out there. 20 groups, whatever it takes. Because that's how I did it, Jim. That's how I got successful before I brought you in. Because mm-hmm. I want to give you my tools that got me here. Right. So that's what I recommend to every owner is get connected. Get out there with the people that know it. Ron's a great guy. He's willing to help. Um, you guys can email me, I'll, I'll send you his information, whatever you need, I'll help. You know, yeah. I love the industry. I I read and sleep it, you know.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I love it. And I thank you for reaching out and offering to come on the podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for shop owners and managers to be listening because I think it's going to spark some ideas and things that they can possibly do. I mean, I think a lot of shops used to do the morning meetings. I feel like when I own my shop, that was like a thing that a lot of shops did. But for... for some reason, we've moved away from it. I think we get so caught up in the day-to-day and the cycle time and the demands that it's like, oh, we don't have time for the meeting. But it's almost like the meeting is the foundation.
2: It is the foundation. You so, need
0: without it, uh, are like you said, kind of like, you know, the queen ant. I feel like it's, there's just so much that we really need to be grounded and having a morning meeting to start out your day. Although you may feel like you just, li- I just want to get into the work. I just want to get started without having that foundation. I mean, if these guys on the call or, and gals, um, do nothing else but start out with some type of cohesive meeting of getting on the same page, positive messaging. We're mm-hmm. in this together. I mean, something as basic as that, I yes. think would be amazing.
2: Yes. Well, communicate, communicate, communicate. That's yeah. the take. I, mean, I wrote a chapter in Caliber's operational handbook was called Communicate, Communicate, Communicate. They used to ask me, why are so successful, Jim? What you do? Communication, simply put. The more we know, the more we communicate throughout the day, the less problems we're going to have and the more advanced processing we're going to have. And that's just the way it works. It's the truth. Yeah. And I have radios. Have an open on We're all talking all through the day. Every little thing that comes up, we're all aware. We're all in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Through. I love it. Well, Jim, thank you again, Jim. I'm going to put your information for those of you guys watching on YouTube or listening on a podcast. All the information for Jim will be down in the description. You can reach out to him if you have questions. Uh, If you need his information and you don't see it in the description, feel free to reach out to me and I'll pass along his information. Jim, you've been amazing in our industry. You have helped bring our industry where it is today. And uh, it's funny because you've done so much work behind the scenes. So I was saying a lot of people... Don't realize they've been affected by you or they know you, but they do. Uh, being so involved with FIX, being involved with Caliber, creating these processes and procedures, and now being able to do it for yourself, which is so cool. Congratulations. <laughs>
2: I appreciate that. I tell you, Everybody's been so kind to me in this industry. I've been very fortunate, very lucky man.
0: Yes. Oh, I, I love this industry. That's obviously where my heart is. That's why I'm doing this thing. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> awesome. I, I, when I watched your first episode, I was like, "This is great." That's why I sent you that test. Oh, right? cool! We love it. We need this. You know. We, yes, we I think so.
0: Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much. My
2: pleasure.
0: So all the information is in the description for today's body bang podcast. So appreciate you all listening and watching. And I'm sure we're going to have another great one next Monday. So make sure you stay tuned for that one too. Make sure you're following. And when you subscribe on YouTube, make sure you hit that notifications bell. So you get a little pop up on your phone every time one goes live. So you don't miss any of these. So thanks again. And we will see you all next time.
1: If you enjoyed today's show, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We have some incredible topics and guests coming your way you will not want to miss. If you are watching on YouTube and don't want to miss the latest and greatest, you'll want to hit the bell after subscribing, so you will get a pop-up each time a video podcast goes live. To our devoted fans, would you mind paying it forward and sharing this little gem with someone else you think may benefit from it? Much love from all of us here at Body Bangin', all things auto body.